Good morning. Our Sunday School story this Sunday is Jesus Heals the Centurion's Servant. This account is found in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13, and Luke 7, 1 to 10. We'll be reading through the account in Matthew, but I will also make reference to some of the things that Luke tells us which aren't in Matthew. Whereas most accounts, especially the miracles of Jesus, really focus us on Christ and his power, his divinity, his mercy, etc. And rightly so, when we are reading scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, we always want to ask, what does this teach us about Jesus? In this miracle, however, Jesus himself points us to the centurion and holds him up as an example of faith. Now, certainly Jesus's mercy and power are on display here as well, but Jesus really calls into focus the centurion and uses him as an example to us. Is your faith like this man? The essence of faith, as we're going to see in this account, is a humble heart that trusts in Jesus. For the same reason Jesus tells us, unless you become like a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. What did he mean by that? He meant that we should humble ourselves like a child, not think of ourselves as big, important men strutting around. Everyone has to bow down to me, but recognize that we are nothing before God. We should humble ourselves before God and before each other. Think of our, think of others as more important than ourselves. So think of ourselves like a child. And also that we should learn to trust him as a child trusts its parents. A child knows that its parents are going to provide for it and trust them. And so in the same way we should trust God. And so the essence of faith is a humble trust, a humbling myself, repentance before God, but also trust in his mercy. We don't trust him to help us because we deserve it. We trust him to help us because he is good and merciful. And so we'll see that also in this account. So one thing you could do is to ask the kids at the beginning of the lesson to identify where this man that we're about to talk about shows humility and where he shows trust. And we can go through that in the, the lesson and it can be something that the kids are looking for. Law and gospel, we do not deserve Jesus's attention. We do not deserve Jesus to help us. Nevertheless, we ask in faith anyway, and we know that he will help us because of his goodness and his mercy, not because we deserve it. In Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, in this account, Jesus emphasizes the coming of the Gentiles to the kingdom of God. And remember, this is a big part of the Gospel of Matthew, which was written to the Jews. And the Gospel of Matthew really emphasizes the kingdom of God is not the earthly nation of Israel, but those who believe in Jesus and the preaching of the word is how God's kingdom comes among us. And so that also is emphasized in this. Jesus is going to remind the Jews that this man had faith, whereas many of them do not. And he's going to emphasize the, the coming of the Gentiles to God's kingdom. So that's something to watch for in this account as well. We begin with verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. A centurion was a man who was given command over a hundred soldiers. That's where the name centurion comes from, a hundred. And this particular centurion, since he was in Galilee, Capernaum, of course, is the city on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. It was Jesus's base of operation. He was constantly coming and going from Capernaum. A lot of our accounts, a lot of 
what we hear about Jesus takes place in or around Capernaum, the calling of the disciples as healing uh, Peter's mother in law, other things as well. And so he's he's back here kind of in his adopted home city. His home city, of course, was Nazareth, but this is his base of operation at the moment. Immediately right here in the first two verses, verse 5 and 6, we see that humble faith that we had talked about. And notice that the man cares about his servant. That's that humility which puts others, even a servant, above himself. Not that he would, not that he would have um, taken orders from his servant. It, it, it was his job to lead and command, and it was the, the servant's job to to do what he told him to do and that that authority still exists but he uses his authority the centurion uses his authority to care for those people who are under him and you see that care here you also see it in the gospel of luke where he the it's not the centurion himself that comes to jesus but we find out that some of the leaders among the jews come on his behalf some might find it strange that Matthew says, well, the centurion asked Jesus, and Luke says the elders of the Jews or the Jewish leaders come to him. Some of the Jews come to him to ask on his behalf. But it's really not that odd. Matthew is just being a little more concise. And even though it's the Jews who come and talk to Jesus, they're asking him what the centurion sent them to ask. And so it is the centurion asking Jesus, uh, even if he's doing it indirectly. And Matthew doesn't bother to give us that details, but that doesn't mean that what Matthew says is wrong or incorrect. The same thing happens when Pilate scourges. The, the Bible says that Pilate, he whipped Jesus. Now we know it wasn't Pilate himself that whipped Jesus, but he gave the order for the soldiers to do it. And so he's doing it through those um, whom he, he gives the order to. In the same way here, the centurion is asking, is talking to Jesus through the Jews who come to him. But again, that humble faith the Jewish elders come to ask Jesus and they point out how this man had cared for the Jewish people and was a friend of the Jewish people and had built a synagogue. And so once again, that humility where this Roman soldier does not come into Galilee and think of himself as better and greater and more important than these Jewish people, but he uses his authority and his position to serve his neighbor. And so we think of the seventh commandment, you should not steal. And Martin Luther reminds us, what does this mean? It means that we should do everything we can to help our neighbor to keep and protect his property in way of in way of making a living rather than taking from him we should do everything we can to help him out that's that that humility which the, the centurion shows here both to his servant and to the jewish people but also faith that humility and faith even though he even though he does not think more of himself he also recognizes the Lord as the true God. He's building a synagogue. Uh, he, When Jesus comes, he, he trusts that it's Jesus who can help his, his servant. He sends messages, please come and help my servant. And so again, you see both the humility and the faith, the trust in Jesus. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, the English translation here gives it as a statement. It's very likely that this was actually a question. Jesus asked him, shall I come and help? And so you notice that the message from the centurion doesn't actually ask anything of Jesus. It says, Lord, my, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, but there's no actual request there. And so Jesus responds with a question, well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me, do you want me to come and to, and to help and to heal him? And this if this Jesus did ask a question, the punctuate, there's no punctuation in the Greek. So you just have to 
tell by context whether it's a question or not. But assuming it was a question, which I think it was, then that helps us to understand what happens next. Because in verse 8, the centurion answered. The centurion is answering the question that Jesus had. Is this what you want? Do you want me to come and help him? It also understands why the centurion sends a response back. It's not like Jesus was coming and the centurion stopped him. This question was sent to the centurion from Jesus. Is this what you want me to do? And the centurion responds to it, no, 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 you don't need to come. You can just say the word. Jesus here uses this opportunity to teach the Jews and the disciples a lesson. No doubt Jesus knew the faith of the centurion, and he wanted to show his disciples and the Jewish people what it really meant to have faith in him. Continuing verse 8 and 9, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion replies, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. The centurion is well aware of the Levitical laws that was unlawful for a Jew to enter his house. And the centurion correctly understands these Levitical laws as a reminder to all people, really, that they are unworthy of God, uh, that we come to God not because we are worthy, but because he has called us. And in the Old Testament, he called the Old Testament people, the, the nation of Israel, and set them apart. And so instead of getting angry at these Levitical laws, like, well, why, why does God's law treat me as something less, as something inferior? Why does, it, he, why does God's law say that I'm not worthy to come to the temple when these Jews are, which would have been very easy for a Roman. The Romans pretty much thought of themselves as better than everyone else uh, and you know, acted that way quite a bit. But this centurion doesn't do that. Instead, he humbles his heart and he takes the lesson to heart. Okay, I'm not worthy of God's attention. Uh, he understands that. And yet, even though I'm not worthy of God's attention, yet he still trusts Jesus to help and to heal. And so again, he's trusting Jesus's mercy, not something that he deserves. So his response to Jesus here is really shows his great humility and his faith. Now, his response about Jesus' authority, uh, but I speak a word and and it's done, and he's expecting Jesus to do the same. And so his response to Jesus also shows his trust in Jesus' authority. The, the, the centurion here shows an understanding of something that many modern people, many even many modern Christians, do not. Many people these days, even those claiming to be Christians, want to understand how God did miracles. Of course, there's many people who don't even believe that God did miracles, but even those who do believe he did the miracles, sometimes they try and look into the, the how. You go back to Joshua and the day the sun stood still, and, and people will talk about, well, well, how is that possible? What did God do? Did he stop the earth? Did he, did he stop the sun? You know, what happened there? And so they're, they're looking into, the, well, how did God do it? And you say the same thing with the the star that led the wise men to Bethlehem. Uh, sometimes people will say, well, uh, maybe God used a comet, or maybe he used this, or maybe he, he used this other thing. And so we have a tendency to ask, well, well, how did God do that? But the centurion noticed he doesn't do that. He, he understands that there is no how, that it's simply God's word. And when Jesus says, then it is done. And there is no a deeper question as to how Jesus does things. It's his word, his word speaks, and it is done. Uh, I tell my servants to go, and they go. 
And he, so he shows a trust in Jesus that Jesus' word even has power over diseases. If you tell the disease to stop, it will stop. If you tell the storm to stop, it will stop. He doesn't need a deeper understanding or a deeper explanation. He doesn't need Jesus to touch the servant. He doesn't need Jesus to use water or to use some kind of medicine. He understands that when Jesus speaks, it is done. And so the centurion shows great faith, not only in his humility, I'm not worthy of you, but also in his complete understanding, if you speak, it will be done. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. There are only two places in the gospel where this word is used, Jesus was amazed or Jesus was marveled. Once is here, and when he's amazed, marvels at the great faith of the centurion, the other is the opposite when he's in Nazareth and he marvels at their great unbelief. And so you see the contrast there, the, the great unbelief of the people of Nazareth versus the great faith of the centurion. The great pride of the people of Nazareth, Nazareth versus the great humility of the centurion. And that reminds us, of course, of Habakkuk 2.4, where Habakkuk says, Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And so the prophet Habakkuk contrasts the two, doesn't he? He says that pride and faith are opposites. Well, we would often say, well, what's the opposite of pride is humility. And we might say, well, what's the opposite of faith? It's unbelief. But according to the, the prophet Habakkuk, pride and faith are opposites. You cannot have a humble faith in Christ if you are confident in yourself. You're not repenting and looking to Jesus and trusting him if you have that pride, well, I'm good enough in myself, right? So Habakkuk makes that distinction, pride versus faith. And we see that in the, again, in the centurion here, that humble faith, which acknowledges I'm not worthy, but trusts in Jesus. Verses 11 to 13, I say to you, this is still Jesus speaking, that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Many shall come from the east and the west. The Jews believed that at the coming of the Messiah there would be a great feast, and the Jews would gather together for the feast of the Messiah, and that the Gentiles would not be allowed into that feast. And so Jesus here uses that image, but he reverses it. He says, no, many will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about that idea the Jews had of that feast that is to come. And of course, that feast is going to come, but it's going to come in heaven, uh, not here on this earth. And Jesus points out that it's, it's not because you are descended from Abraham that it allows you to become part of this feast. And of course, the parable of the king's son's wedding feast, where the king sends out the invites and everyone makes excuses and no one comes. And then he goes to the highways and the byways and he gathers them in. The same thing. He's stressing to the Jews, you think the Gentiles are going to be shut out of the feast, but actually it's you because of your lack of faith. And so Paul in Romans 9 reminds us they are not all Israel who are of Israel. In other words, just because you're descended from Israel does not make you one of the people of God. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. In other words, what Paul is saying there is being a 
physical descent of Abraham does not make you a child of Abraham or a child of God, but having the faith of Abraham is what makes you a child of Abraham because you trust in that promise of God. Just as the Jews thought that they were good Israelites, but had neither humility nor trust in Jesus, so this miracle also asks us to look at our hearts. Do we have that humble trust in Jesus of a child, or are our hearts proud and arrogant like the Jews? True faith acknowledges that I am not worthy, but clings to Christ's mercy, knowing that Christ came to seek and to save the lost, and trusting that Jesus will have mercy on us, despite the fact that I am a great sinner. And that is what we see in this account. We see a man who understood the truth that he was not worthy of Jesus and yet trusted in his mercy anyway. Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson.